everybody at Hacking Rio. It's a great pleasure to be with you today to talk about the future. To be sure, the present is quite a challenge, especially in Brazil, but there is a future worth looking at and worth being excited about. So let me try to be your guide for the future. First, I think we need to stop asking the question about what will the future bring, as if the future was fixed or somebody else would dictate it for us or somebody else would invent it, right? The real question is, what kind of future do we want? I mean, if we look at technology, it's really quite clear that we can probably have any future we want uh, in less than, say, 10, 15 years, because we are capable of reinventing so many things. Right? Poverty, hunger, right? even though, of course, those are so social things as well. But technology has the solutions for the environment, for food, for water. We just have to have the will to execute on those possibilities. The real question is not going to be what kind of future will happen to us or what's going to happen, but what do we want and how do we go about formulating what we want? It's quite clear that we're living in a totally connected society and whatever happens in Brazil impacts all other countries. What happens to the Amazon impacts everybody, even though some people may think different. But we are in a totally connected world, and it's quite clear what's happening here. You know? We are heading towards one of those crises that is totally unprecedented. I mean, we're talking about a global macroeconomic change uh, that at this point says total and utter uncertainty. And we have to be ready for this. We have to think agile. We have to be able to reinvent. We have to have a lot of uh, imagination. We have to keep thinking positive because this crisis will not be over anytime soon. It will continue to drag on. We're going to have to figure out what we do with this in the long run. And I sometimes call, you call this the Corona Coaster. Great article in The Economist the other day about what's happening here. It's like we're riding up and down this emotional situation. Sometimes we think it won't be as bad. And sometimes we think it's really bad. And you know, it's going up and down like a roller coaster. Really what we have to do here is we have to help each other we have to support each other. Uh, we have to think beyond the obvious. And we have to have a perspective for the future. Whether you're a hacker or a technologist or whether you're a business person or a government employee, you have to be able to imagine what comes uh, in the near future and how do we take advantage of it. I mean, think about this one thing, for example, on the Corona Coaster. Education and schools. I mean, if the schools are going to stay closed, and this is a worldwide debate, there's only a couple of countries where the schools are entirely open, right? What are we going to do with everybody to study from home? Will, a, will an eight-year-old kid study from home when they don't even have internet? How does that work? We're going to have to really figure out what to do about this. This is a very, very high priority, I think, in all countries, but especially in Brazil. You know? How do we bridge the digital divide? You know, how, how is the government going to support remote learning and working from home and staying at home? And This is a very, very big thing that's going to you know, basically stretch out into the future for an unknown time hopefully there'll be a vaccine and we can resume normality to some degree but you know this is one of those big challenges and yes looking at some businesses like cruise ships i don't know if you ever thought that cruise ships were necessary or a good thing but some things will end 
this is one of the things that will probably just end or be meaningless or be very small in the future. Will that happen to everything? I don't think so. I think we're going to keep going to work. We're going to keep on having workplaces to go to. We're going to keep on traveling, but in different ways. Substantial change, but some things will end as a result of this crisis. And one of them is that governments that don't figure out how to support the citizens during these difficult times will end. And we see that happening, playing out all over the world, the really smart governments all over the world, right? Of course, you know, they are women, right? led by women. New Zealand, Jacinda Ardern, Taiwan, Denmark, Iceland. That's a very big challenge for Brazil. Let's think about that while we continue with the presentation here. I think, you know, we're, we're sometimes staring down this really dark corridor here. And this goes for myself too. You know, my work has changed entirely. I'm in here now, right? not up there. Uh, and that is really quite a different cup of tea. And we all have to change and adapt. But I still think that the future is better than we think. Right? The future is a different place that we have to get used to. Uh, and we have to figure out how we're going to move into the future so that we can see the bright spot at the end of this dark hallway. Uh, there's many good things that will come out of this crisis. Just like every crisis, is something that we shouldn't waste, right? Milton Friedman once said, only a crisis, real or imagined, brings real change. And we are at the point of the crisis hitting us so that we have to transform, we have to be different, we have to do something entirely different. Sometimes we just have to be optimistic or we have to improvise, right? What's it called, J. Genio, right? We have to make stuff up, right? I mean, this is a great example how we can improvise, you know, of course, slightly on the humorous side, I hope. But so if we're looking at this direction, it's really quite clear. What we're seeing here is what I call the great transformation. The World Economic Forum calls this the great reset. I think that's pretty much the same thing. But this transformation means that things that used to be on the top, right, you can see here, uh, the cruise ship and, and all the gas and, and traveling and banking, right? It's all being reshuffled and falling to the bottom. And now the new stuff on top is, of course, healthcare, the pandemic. How can we respond? How can we can have a vaccine? And of course, energy, climate change has moved to the top of the agenda as well. And working from home right? and generally technology. I mean, the winners are clearly technology, healthcare, government, right? Clearly, that is a great transformation that is going to allow us to reset, right? to change the narrative, to think about different things that weren't, weren't possible before. I mean, would you have imagined that the government would tell you that you have to stay at home? Right? This is unheard of. And now we're saying, yeah, well, if it's necessary, we'll do that. So in my view, there's a couple of things that we need to do right now to bring that point home. Of course, focus on survival. Right? Make sure that things are working. That the money is flowing in some direction uh, in, in some way that will ensure your survival for the next two years or so. This survival is critical, of course. Collaboration, and working together to find new solutions, adaptation to the situation. This isn't going to stop and go back to normal. Don't pretend for a second that we're going to go back to the same place, and, and hopefully the same place wasn't good anyway. Uh, but we have to adapt to this, and finally, we have to transform. Right? We have to think uh, of a new way that we're going to approach things in a new way beyond what we had yesterday. You know? Transformation of everything, of industry, of economics, and, and this is kind of a reset button, a giant reset button that you can push. Right? So clearly in this world, right, 
that has gone from lockup to freeing up to lockdown again to all kinds of measures uh, to, to help our survival and to help us deal with this crisis. And there is no such thing as going back to normal. This just isn't. We're not going back to what it was before. This is like saying, you know, let's go, you know, 1950 to go back to 1930, you know, before the war. And normal and before the pandemic wasn't good anyway. There were many things that weren't going wrong. And the interesting thing about this crisis is that it brings out the best in us, solidarity, collaboration, helping each other, and it also brings out the worst in us. Like we can use this, this pandemic to figure out how to do complete surveillance for all citizens and use technology to basically make everybody uh, omni-filtered and looked at and, and observed like a panopticon. So we have to think about what is going to be the reset. You know, What else can we do? And it's really quite clear. One of the things that was normal was inequality. And especially in Brazil, of course, this is a huge issue as it is in America and the UK and South Africa and many other places, of course. And now it turns out the higher the inequality in, in any given country or nation or, or region, right, the higher the number of infections and deaths by this pandemic and others that will follow. Inequality translates directly into inability to deal with critical emergency situations. Look at the U.S. numbers, yeah, I mean, the, the number of inequality. I think the Brazil number is actually much higher than this. So inequality is a major driver of this. And if you're looking at another stat here, the probability of losing a job because of this crisis, where is it the biggest? Of course, in America, is black and brown people, not white people, right? It is the minorities. And around the world, and I think it's our American numbers, right, is the people that don't make much money that are going to be hit the hardest. I and mean, we really have to pay attention to this. I mean, inequality is a major driver behind all these issues, and it magnifies the things about COVID. And that's, that's a huge political discussion about how we can change inequality, uh, especially in Brazil. It's been a long-time topic with about, I don't know, 35 million people considered to be under the total level of poverty in Brazil. So that's a major driver that we have to think about, and I think we're going to see countries uh, that are completely on the wrong path here and have a dysfunctional society, dysfunctional response like the U.S. Uh, to this crisis, right, they're going to be rebooted. And I'm hoping for a new American renaissance. And I think we can see that coming up, you know, with the elections, hopefully, and after the elections, a whole new rebooting and a whole new importance of, of the United States will, will come up. And, and clearly, you know, if there's one country that has to pivot because of inequality and climate change and capitalism, uh, it'll be the U.S. And that's something that I think Brazil can learn. It's time to pivot. It's time to turn around into a new direction uh, that creates a society that can actually be agile and resilient. Here on this chart, you can see clearly what's happening in our immediate future. And I think if you're in technology, if you're a hacker, right, if you're, this, this is fantastic right, because this future is big tech, big media, big state, big question, right? Big health, of course, big healthcare, biotechnology, and big green. And, you know, you can also say, of course, it's big debt, right? Government is going to spend a lot of money that they have to get back somehow. That's another big discussion. <laughs> but amazing opportunity. The tech companies have rallied. Their stock has rallied. 
uh, and technology has become even more central. I mean, we're doing this right here with technology, right? We are using technology every day, even more so than before. So that is going to be a giant job creator, I think. But let's make no mistake about it. There's a few other points which I'll which I want to get into. There's four challenges here. Two of them are already discussed, which of course is the pandemic and inequality. But here's the third one: capitalism. And do we really want to have a system where the, the, the better off are going to be even better off and they don't, they're not even touched by the COVID crisis, right? Or do we want a more collective society, a sort of sustainable capitalism, as Al Gore has put it, or Paul Mason has said, a post-capitalism society? I mean, of course, very big discussion. Again, especially U.S. and Brazil, there's lots of parallels here. And we have in, in Europe, we have our discussion about what we call social capitalism. That leads to the final point, the really big thing in the room is climate change. We're going to have to adopt to climate change, we're going to have to adapt measures and mitigate and do all these things that we have on the agenda for a long time. But here's the point, COVID-19 is a test run for climate change. For the changes that we have to make, for the things that we don't like doing but we have to do them, for the mental mindset that we had to we jump into a new world. I mean, this is going to be right now in the next few years that is the primary discussion. And I think on the positive side, it will create a huge amount of work and jobs right here if we funnel the money into the right direction. I think you're going to see in the very near future money moving out of oil and gas and the military, right? moving towards social, healthcare, and of course, environment, new energy. And that is something that we're learning right now. This is what we need. This is not a question of saying that you know, this is an optional thing. I mean, the earth isn't optional. <laughs> so this is something I think that we have to become very good at pivoting, turning the ship around, because this is what's happening all around us. We have to reinvent. Reinvent tourism, reinvent airline travel, reinvent events and conferences, reinvent how we do business, working from home, this is a fantastic opportunity forcing us to reinvent. I mean, who would voluntarily reinvent when things look like they're cruising along okay? They were not. I mean, in 2019, I traveled some 300 flights around the world. And here I am at home. No more flying. I have to pivot. All of us have to pivot. I'm going to give you some examples of what pivoting really is. Right? I mean, this is, I think, a significant challenge for all of us is to figure out what is your pivot. I mean, if you have tourism, yeah, you know, it's going to be local tourism. Not so much international, right? Maybe later again, maybe in a different way, sustainable tourism. Uh, this is, of course, a very big question for Rio. How do you attract tourism of that nature? But here's a couple examples. Now, people are now doing concerts uh, in drive-in theaters to keep the social distancing. Yeah, it's probably not the same, I can imagine, but you know, people are being inventive. Very popular in Denmark. And uh, now the first airline seats in economy that allows social distancing, a, a company called Zephyr, uh, that allows you to do uh, to uh, uh, sleep in a, in a sort of stacked situation that's supposed to be safer. The Tour de France went virtual. It was a great success. I watched some of it. It was pretty amazing, including the participants participating on virtual bikes. Not not just a virtual 3D thing, but it you know, felt very real. And companies are now pivoting to make equipment uh, to deal with the COVID pandemic, including here the ventilators made by a, a Portuguese company, uh, 3D printed ventilators, right? <laughs> reinventing. Right? 
big malls are starting to to do movie theater drive-ins. Now, this is like 30 years ago when drive-ins were, you know, basically the malls are going to change because, you know, retail will be heavily suffering from this. And uh, we have to be inventive. We have to think of new things. And, and you know, finally, of course, I'm pivoting uh, to you, thankfully without the mask here, but being virtually there. Let me talk about work and jobs. You know, many people are worried about the future of work. I'm also worried, but I think there's there's good components here. There's things happening that may be tough for us to change, but there will be human work in the future and human jobs. I mean, you know, in 1900, about 90% of people were working in agriculture and farming, and today in the U.S. is less than 2%, in Europe even less than the 2%. Right? Uh, but we're still working. <laughs> so let's look at the background of this. Uh, a chapter from my book, Technology versus Humanity, which is available in Portuguese, of course. Uh, you can download this for free in Portuguese and many other languages at megashifts.digital. Just go there to download this chapter and read some more about this. But basically what's happening is that these things, these 10 different shifts are happening on top of each other. Right? So machines are getting smart, cognification. Right? Everything is becoming digital. Everything is becoming personalized and, and everything is becoming data. That changes our job and our work fundamentally because machines are no longer stupid. If you do the work that a machine can do, you will not have work in the near future. Well, that's a really simple call center or manufacturing or doing something that is basically robot work. And many of us are doing some kind of you know robotic commodity job, donkey work if you want to call it. Even I do. Right? Of course. But then the question is, how much of that, how much of your job is routine? And can, can you move on to things that are not routine? I think in the end, it's quite clear. This is the world that we're going into. Whether you are in Brazil or India or Nigeria or Switzerland, where I am, right? the world is going to go more technology, more possibilities of technology. is going to go deeper and deeper into the possibilities, including artificial intelligence. And many of them are overhyped and not really working, I know. Right? But still, yeah, technology is here to stay. It will change our lives. Look at these stats. Right? Machines will increasingly do the routine work. An economist said here, and this is an understatement. Right? The routine work means that the, the work that is robotic, right? that's routine work. Like in financial services, looking up stuff, making a match, getting the right data, doing fact-checking. Right? Non-routine work is the feature, whether that's manual work Right, or cognitive work, but look at the red curve right here. That's basically uh, quite clear if you're looking at this right here. Manual work, it's everywhere, right? And uh, non-routine manual work is increasing. I mean, it's quite clear when you're looking at the stats, this is where you want to be, non-routine work. And that could be a carpenter or electrician. Of course, uh, people who are craftspeople will be on top of that domain because it's very hard to replace them. <laughs> So whether you're a singer or a dancer or a priest, you, you, you go in that category and non-routine cognitive work. But anything that can be repeated by a machine can be learned. Machine will learn it in the next 10 years, starting with the call center. So this is something we have to think about, also how we help people to move on and develop different skills. And clearly here, this, this is showing us how artificial intelligence could change the healthcare market. And it's quite clear the, uh, you know, if you're looking at the job market here, transportation and storage and you know those those are declining financial and insurance i mean clearly machines can learn that right they can learn manufacturing and they're doing this on top of the pyramid we have growth and hopefully your job is in that domain health 
scientific, technical communications, hospitality, education. The key thing is we have to put money into those jobs. Do you know how many jobs we could create in social and healthcare, uh, and of course teaching education, if we had the money to create them? We have to take that money from somewhere else, right? and that is the gain of technology. We can take the money from that right? and move that into these new sectors where we have promise. Uh, big discussion, of course, about policy. Bottom line is this, right? The machines will do the routine. Right? They will come in and fill in all the dots, and the routine is stuff like saying, okay, let me figure out what is the best investment portfolio for this simple application. Right? Doing research and fact-checking, as we already have today. You know, Google, Google Maps is essentially one of those routines that we used to do by hand, and now Google Maps is doing it. And so I think what we see here is really quite clear that anything that can be digitized, automated or virtualized, will be. Anything. That goes for part of my job, that goes part for everybody's job. The question is how much. If your job is 100% routine, you're out of a job, sooner or later. But which job is 100% routine? Well, I think that's a big debate that we have to have, you know, hopefully in our live discussion later on. But this here, useless humans, are we going to be useless because machines are becoming smart, right? intelligent, thinking? Some people even would argue that machines can feel. Well, that is a stretch. <laughs> useless humans, I don't think we're going to be useless because machines become smart. We're going to move up the food chain. And the question again here is one of social policy and it's of preparation and education. Our kids shouldn't be learning to do what machines are doing. You're downloading information for later. They have to learn how to invent, how to do new things. So this is the main thing, of course, that we are doing. I call this in my book the Androvithms. And again, you can find that online. Just Google Androvithms, like Android and, and rhythms, are the opposite of algorithms. So here are the Androvithms, and, and the Androvithms are all the things that machines will never learn. Hopefully, we won't teach them how to, how to learn them. <laughs> Emotions, creativity, imagination. Intuition. Einstein once said, imagination is more important than knowledge. I think knowledge is very important for the average person, clearly. But imagination, right? that's something a machine can't do because it's not fixed, it's not logical. This is some, something that I think is really important for us to bring back onto the agenda for teaching. And again, if you're in technology, if you're a hacker, you know, right? Your intuition, your, your compassion, and of course your passion is what drives your life, right? Anything that cannot be digitized or automated becomes extremely valuable. And this is where we have to put our effort in. And that is also the future of work and the future of jobs and the future of what we're going to be doing. Because clearly, if you work like a robot, you will not have a, have a job. If you learn like a robot, you will never get a job. Now, this is the past. Let, let's let go of this and figure out a new way to go forward. I don't know, it's easier said than done when, when your job is routine, you're still making money now, maybe as a driver, right? working in a call center. Um, but you know, gradually, I think we need to shift over into creating new values that only humans can do. Clearly, when we talk about the future, many people are always concerned about this artificial intelligent machine, right? The machine that can think. Right? Well, they can think somewhat uh, in, the, in the sense of essentially saying, okay, uh, we're going to be able to compute unknown things. Right? But, but this here, our, our human things, purpose, curiosity, foresight, imagination, can machines do that? 
Yeah, they can fake it. Good argument. <laughs> but passion, critical thinking, what's generally called human agency, I, I don't think we should let the computers even attempt at doing this. The best possible world can be to use the computation of the machine and set this on top, you know, humanity on top of technology. And this is why it's so important, you know, we saw last week the whole debate between technology and regulation. We must regulate technology so that it stays within the realms of making us, us more useful. Right? So, it, so it doesn't flatten out our, our things that are illogical, like privacy. I always say that, you know, if, um, if you have nothing to hide, you're probably not human. Because it is human to be not like a machine, you know, to have mysteries and to protect your privacy is crucial. And then we're moving into a world where we're all seemingly, that's what media tells us, working happily from home. Well, first of all, because there's a huge amount of discussion about how real this is. And I think it's largely reserved for the people who have the means to work from home like I do and many of us do. But generally speaking, yeah, I think we're going to keep on working from home clearly. But the more virtual our lives get, especially work, the more valuable the real human-to-human -human interaction is. And, and this will be essential because I think, in the end, that is really what drives us. So working from home, uh, you know, working remotely is going to be a huge alternative, very important. You have to learn it. But I don't see a threat there in terms of going to real work. The real future, in my view, is going to be hybrid working from home, from the office, when you're traveling, if you ever travel again. <laughs> but clearly that's something we have to learn. Great riffing off here for uh, Peter Drucker, who said strategy, uh, uh, culture eats strategy for breakfast. I say culture eats technology for breakfast. It, it basically creates a situation where everything that we do is not depending on, on our smart tools. It's depending on how we think about things. Right? Uh, and and uh, Martin Seligman wrote a great book about this uh, psychologist who said, really, what is what is happiness and how is happiness uh, put? Come, how does it come about? Right? Positivity, engagement, relationships, meaning, accomplishment. He calls it perma. This is what we do, and this beats technology any day. Now, that's not to say that we're going to have a future without technology. There is no such thing. But those two things come together, and, and this is really what we need to create the culture for this. And that brings me to digital ethics. The idea of having responsible technology, human technology, not human-centric in, in the sense of the Anthropocene, you know, everything is about humans, right? but people, planet, purpose, right? a, a larger meaning of technology. And clearly, I mean, what we see these days, the discussion of digital ethics is absolutely everywhere. Right? So here, for example, we see uh, uh, the first CMO, I think this is Unilever, that uh, says that they will no longer advertise on Facebook, right? Because basically Facebook is creating a scenario that is uh, manipulative. Right? So they pull their money out of Facebook. And I think a lot of people will make that decision to pull their money out right? and not get involved with uh, dubious platforms that are run by algorithms. You know, personally, I pulled out of Facebook almost two years ago with all my profiles and everything because I, I find it unethical. And especially now with the US uh, elections coming up, it's even a bigger debate. So we're going to see people and companies making decisions based on their ethical preferences. Right? 
And with all the stuff that goes on around it, I call this the game changers. Again, you can find that just game changers, GERD, GERD. You'll find lots of stuff there. Big data, cloud computing, AI, the Internet of Things. Right? And here's the bottom line on this. We can have an amazing present from this technology. It can be really a powerful tool, and it is, or it can be a bomb. And here's the question, how do we get it from being a bomb too much? Little bombs, yeah, we're familiar with that, and we can do with that, but too much of a good thing can be a very bad thing. And this is why we have to regulate technology, not every technology, and not everything. Just, you know, we need wisdom, uh, which I think for the first time ever, that discussion is raging in the European Commission, and I think also in Brazil, of course, and, and just recently in the U.S. with the hearings in, in the U.S. Congress. Right? It was marked difference from the last, last time, you know, years ago. It was kind of a stupid event, and now it's like, oh, you know, it's interesting. We're having the right debates. So this is really important. We find the leverage, especially now, because technology is moving once again. Uh, you know, big tech, big state, right? Big government, big health. So let's make no mistake about this. In this world, where we're seeing all that stuff happening around us, and where data is everywhere, and, and cameras are everywhere, the externality is a side effect, a bad side effect of exponential tech will have the same effect than that of fossil fuel and climate change. In other words, if we don't watch out, we're going to have the same situation. We take something that's in principle good, which for example was energy and being able to drive and do things, and now we have to pay the bill. We need to find a balance. This is really important, I think, along with climate change, you know, the human change. How do we change as people because of technology? And let me remind you, this is not about being an enemy of technology or objecting to it. Far from it, I think this is the powerful, the most powerful tool that we have. We have to find a balance as to how much of it we want or we don't want. It's been said many times, and I use that word a lot, you know, data is the new plutonium. Well, before that, I said data is the new oil. <laughs> Actually, I was going to say that first, but data is the new oil, and now it's the plutonium. It can be used as a weapon. Social media clearly is an indication of data being used as a weapon right? to make us the object of things, to make us the contact of social network. That has to change. Right? There's just no way that we can continue on the world where everything is about data and algorithms and, and, and the things that make us human don't matter anymore, like journalism. You know, I want my news from real people, not, not just from algorithms. And we have to pay them. Otherwise, you don't pay, you are the content. I think you heard that many times before. So our friend Zuckerberg needs to learn this. Hello, Mark. Greetings to you. This is something you got to learn. And yeah, let's wish him good luck and give him some good instructions on the way. <laughs> As the world is connecting, and I think Brazil is a fantastic example, you know, the ex explosiveness of how Brazil is becoming connected and how, how this is becoming available to have changing everybody's life. Uh, and this is happening around the world. We're going to have roughly 9 billion people on the internet by 2030. Can you imagine? 9 billion. Right now it's 3.6 billion or, or a little bit more than that, but not at high speed. So clearly, uh, today we had the opportunity to hear from the decision makers at four of the most powerful companies in the world. This hearing has made one fact clear to me. These companies as exist today have monopoly power. Some need to be broken up, all need to be properly regulated and held accountable. 
we need to ensure the antitrust laws first written more than a century ago work in the digital age. When these laws... Yeah, so this is the example of the hearing that was happening this week. And, and what Mr. Cicciolini is saying here right now, it's a pretty serious message, right? This has to stop. This overbearing possibility of technology without any supervision. I mean, that's unheard of. Right? It doesn't mean technology in itself is bad. Yeah, technology is morally neutral until we use it. And we use it everywhere now. So we, we have to figure out what is the good use. The more we connect, the more we must protect what makes us human. And what makes us human are, is the opposite of technology sometimes. Right? Inefficiency. Right? Mystery. Serendipity. Vagueness, emotions, that has to be protected. Think of it like a giant national park for humans. <laughs> what makes us human? That brings us me to the paradigm changes that we're experiencing right now. And I think if you're a hacker and you're in Rio, you got to think about that one really hard because there's new things coming up that represent, in my view, gigantic opportunities. This was the past. Closed, what I call ecosystems. Whether that's an energy, with Petrobras and others, or whether that's in technology, Microsoft 30 years ago, right? little empires, that's maybe a bit like Amazon today. Right? The future is different, right? The future is to create ecosystems to collaborate. Example would be Salesforce right? or SAP in technology, creating giant ecosystems. And of course, they, they can feel sometimes to be egotistical like Apple or so, you know, self-centered. But I think we're looking at a future where ecosystems are the new normal and you can be big in the ecosystem but you can't own it and when we switch to renewable energy we're going to see the integrate and the connectivity of, of technology and energy coming into the future also with healthcare uh, in the health in the healthcare future we're going to combine technology and biology right into a, a, a giant network of possibilities and of course the cloud and so on so really powerful stuff uh, example here mark benioff from Salesforce, right? He talks about the step that comes with this, and this is kind of the rethinking of capitalism. No, I'm not talking about socialism. Right? I'm talking about a new kind of capitalism. Let's see what Mark has to say. Capitalism, as we have known it, is dead. And this obsession that we have with maximizing profits for shareholders alone has led to incredible inequality and a planetary emergency. Yeah, he's pretty amazing. Capitalism as we know it is dead. I think the crisis is proven that is so true because if we only do whatever we would do under the capitalist principle of growth and profits, we would need to rewrite the rules for this crisis. I mean, we are doing things right now that are plainly anti-capitalist in the sense of putting out money, helicopter money, right? supporting people. And this is happening in most governments around the world. Right? We need to think of a new sustainable capitalism, a collaborative capitalism, a social capitalism that we have in Europe, for example, which is you know, struggling with its own difficulties. But clearly, in this future, can it all just be about this? I don't think it can, because if it is, we're not going to be prepared for these crises, the next pandemic, the current pandemic, the struggle between humans and technology, genetic engineering, geoengineering, extraterrestrials, you know, the story goes on. I mean, 
we're going to have to think of a new way. So I've come up with this beautiful graph here. I'm going to take myself out. You can see it better. Right? We need to switch to a four-point bottom line society a, and also a stock market. People, planet, purpose, and prosperity. Now, this isn't new, of course. You've heard about the Sustainable Development Goals, United Nations, and, and Renelial Project, and so on and so on. And, and this is basically you know, thinking about, okay, stakeholder value, not just shareholder value, a different kind of capitalism. Al Gore talked about this 12 years ago. And now it's time to look at this again and say, in this crisis, can we make that switch? And can we think about a different narrative? Can we think about how to do this? And so let me zero in on climate change as part of this effort of discussing people, planet, purpose, and, and prosperity. Right? I think sustainable is becoming the new profitable. The definition of what is going to be good, what enriches us, is going to be all about how sustainable it is. I think we're going to see technology blue right, converging with green, blue and green together, offering the solutions for what we need. And then we need good governance, making the right decisions. Right? I mean, the stats here are pretty obvious when we're looking at this. I mean, the stats are, are nasty. You don't, you don't even want to read the climate change panel, or you do want to read it, but you know, make sure you have uh, you have lots of Kuiper and Rinja with with that. Uh, what we see here is, is quite devastating numbers. I mean, look at the the anomalies that we have in in land and ocean temperature. Look at the CO two emissions led, of course, by the United States and China and all of the developing countries. Not Europe is already in decline. Right? And here, this is the worst chart, you know, climate change refugees in 40 to 50 years, when the planet is four degrees uh, hotter than today, 300 million climate refugees. I mean, think about the mess that's going to create. We need to act on this, and this is a much, much bigger emergency than COVID. And again, COVID is a test run for climate emergency. And, and this is right the next thing, creating also opportunities. But as the crisis has shown for COVID, we have to be prepared. We have to understand things now so we can be ready and act when we need to act, not after we need to act. And one of those things is what I've been talking about for a long time is the carbon tax. Basically asking people to spend money on changing the scenario of climate change to where we put money into things that need support based on things that we use every day, like flying, right? Carbon tax for airplanes? Absolutely. It will happen. Maybe nobody will like it, but I think it's something that must happen. A carbon tax for meat? That's going to happen. A culture tax for famous cities like Lisbon, right? Like Parachi, maybe? I don't know. When you arrive there, you have to pay a tax. Right? And people thought of that as being unthinkable and impossible, but it's not. It's actually so close, you know, we, we thought of unthinkable that the state will tell us you have to stay at home and you have to wear a mask and you have to do all these things. And we did it because it is emergency. The same is going to happen with climate change. Make no mistake about this. The Green New Deal that's being discussed in the US, in Europe, and of course also in Brazil, right? I think it could create a hundred million new jobs. If we shift that money over from things that we used to put the money in, oil and gas and banking, and you know, this is the future. That's where the new money will come from. Research, development, building. And I think that goes also in, you know, in the Green Deal. It goes also with the social and the healthcare 
uh, uh, situation connected. I think it all goes in the same package. This is the future, clearly. And so to summarize, you know, we're looking at a world of technology. That's here on the left, you know, exponential, convergent, combinatorial. The power of technology is not to be underestimated. I think it's mostly a force for the good. Right? But like I said, too good, too much, could also be very bad. So it's something we have to look at. On the other side of the equation, right? We need holistic business models that work for everybody. Uh, a circular economy, as I've described many times, a way of putting back things, and that is going to be really powerful also for the economy, and a focus on human needs. People, planet, purpose, prosperity. And those are the six future principles. I think if we put those to work in technology, if you are a hacker, you put that to work in your next business model, you'll win. I call this the six future principles. So let me summarize and say, you know, so what do we do with all of that now? What now? What is the next step? Where has it taken us? First, practice compassion. Great sign here from Italy that made the rounds in all media. That's if you need something, take something. If you have something extra, put it in the basket. That's called compassion. You give when you can and you take if you need to together. And that is going to be crucial, I think, for our business models. And, and ask yourself, for example, if you run a company, are you going to go the extra mile now? Are you going to give something that you can give? Are you going to delay payments? Are you going to ask people to, to, uh, you know, to ask you to, to uh, forego things? Are you going to make that possible? Or are you going to act like Airbnb, which is now in a really bad situation, and taking money from both ends and you know, having zero compassion, I think, for the current situation? But... This is a key question, right? How do we practice compassion? And how do we work in a world that is, on the one hand, technology, on the other hand, you know, putting the human back inside? This is crucial. If you want to maintain your value, don't become technology, because technology is a commodity. You become like a data stream. You're not a commodity when you put the human back inside, the human relationship. And that, of course, is amplified by technology. Technology is a tool, and technology is not what we seek, but how we seek. We use it as a tool, right? and that's very important. We understand the difference. Now, in these times, which I use this sort of old uh, military term called VUCA, right? Volatility, uncertainty, complexity. That that was there before, but now it's even more VUCA. It's like super VUCA. You know, everything is volatile, uncomplex, uncertain. We don't know where things are going. And there's no reason to ask because, you know, it will be different next week. So we have to just develop our intuition to deal with this. And how do we respond? And this is crucial. If you're an entrepreneur, if you're building stuff, right, if you're looking at the future, to flip the VUCA. Right? And flipping the VUCA to me means this, right? Velocity, speed, unorthodoxy. Think Richard Branson. Right? Co-creation, right? doing stuff together. And the good old American word, awesome ideas. Right? I saw a great, awesome idea the other day. Somebody came up with a new presentation software called MMHM. M-M-H-M. Mm-hmm. Well, it's kind of an odd name, but all the stuff that we wish that, that was in a presentation and sharing software for speaking is in there now, finally. And it's awesome. And now there's companies redesigning airplane seats to be safe. That's awesome, right? That are 3D printing ventilators. I mean, speed 
unorthodoxy, thinking out of the box. And this is what we need for the future. Make no mistake about this. I think if you can't flip the VUCA, right, you'll be in the VUCA. <laughs> so very important, right? Flip it. Right? Velocity, unorthodoxy, co-creation. Right? Think of new ways of doing things and think about this new context, the future we're going into. We're not going back to what it was two years ago. You can forget that idea. Right? We're going back into new opportunities, new situations. Right? Go beyond normal. Great example here with Emirates in the port of Dubai. Uh, Emirates, of course, greatly suffering from this crisis. I mean, I haven't flown Emirates since February 25th. I used to go all the time. Right? Nice airline, but now they're saying they're providing free coverage, right? Medical expenses, right? right? Effective immediately, quarantine costs. That's a pretty good offer. Well, again, I don't know how real this is, but you know, I think it's a, it's um, it seems like a good approach, you know, to, to go beyond normal. This is a question you have to ask yourself right now. Can you go beyond normal? Can you come up with incentives? So let me summarize. Beautiful Rio de Janeiro. I've been there many times. One of my favorite places in the world. Beautiful Brazil. In our world, we have to ask a simple question, not what future can we have or what future is dropping down on us, because there's no such thing. What kind of future do we want? It's a choice. You're making that choice by action or by inaction. You're making that choice every day by what you do and what you don't do. You're creating your future. Let's make the right choices. Here they are again. Make sure you can survive. You collaborate to figure out how can you stretch the next year or even two. That is priority number one. Priority number two, adapting your business model, adapting your thinking, thinking of new possibilities under those new circumstances. Right? One door closes, the next door opens. Hard to imagine sometimes, and it's causing lots and lots of heartache and, uh, and, and concerns and, and worries, clearly. Right? But that's something we have to think about. Collaboration, this is crucial. We have to help each other, support each other, exchange ideas, collaborate with your competitors. Uh, especially, again, if you're into technology and you're a programmer, you got to think about collaborative models. Right? This is not an ecosystem anymore. It's a, it's a global ecosystem, clearly very important for us. And then transformation to a better normal. Right? Build a better normal, not the old normal again. Right? This is a huge opportunity for us. I'm excited about it. I sometimes feel queasy about how exactly that will happen, like all of you. But I think this is a giant step, a giant step forward for us and possibilities. Mucho obrigado for your time. And now I look forward to our discussion. Thanks.